Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Stacey. How are you? <laughs> I got this Fleetwood Mac laryngitis situation happening, but I avoided like 17 bajillion exposures to the flu over the past two weeks. <laughs> and all I have to show for it is laryngitis. So I am super thrilled with my immune system. That's how I'm it's, doing. I mean, it's actually really subtle. I think that if you hadn't said anything, I'm not sure that I would have noticed. Granted, I am in a tunnel vision, <laughs> must get the book to the editor don't pay attention to my world kind of place right now. So I'm not sure that I'm noticing much of anything. Like I think it rained today. I was able to notice that (laughs) because water was falling from the sky when I went to pick up my kids from the bus stop. But like other than that, pretty much noticing stuff, not really my forte at the moment. (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) so I will just say that, um, while you might not be able to notice it, everyone in my life has commented on my voice. And I have to explain to everyone, like, I'm not sick. I don't know. It's just laryngitis. <laughs> and um, my mom had the flu and I saw my mom on Thanksgiving. Um, I shared a cabin with people whose son got the stomach flu the day that we were there. There's a really bad stomach flu going around too. And half the people in the house got the stomach flu, but we did not. And um, also several people at work have the flu. So there was like three different strands of some kind of flu that I was exposed to. And I was just like waiting for it. I'm like, yeah. So can I tell you our like a stomach bug weird I don't know maybe so we had an afternoon where I was feeling a little queasy but like I was kind of I was under a lot of stress I was trying to you know finish a book and whatever and um after dinner Adele just like she was like I'm, I'm gonna throw up she just like announces it and she runs to the bathroom and she didn't she kind of you know sat in the bathroom waiting for something to happen for like seven or eight minutes. And then she was like, I feel fine now. And then she was completely fine. And I'm like, I I think right there, I think that was the stomach bug that just went through our house. (laughs) And I was like, yes, for gut health. Woo. Um, I, I mean, I am going to knock on wood before I say something. So silly. Um, but it's been years since we've had a stomach bug where like we've had a couple where like my kids have been sick for you know three hours four hours right they've thrown up once they waited a couple hours they ate and they were fine but and i'm still knocking on wood it's still happening but pretty much since the last three four years we've been watching people drop like flies around us with the stomach flu that goes around every fall and We've been like, we've either had 
a super crazy minor version of it or not had anything. And it's not because my kids aren't exposed because my kids are, I mean, my kids are not smart enough to do things like wash their hands and not lick their friends. So, um, <laughs> Lick, licking just, your friends is such a common I, problem. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, there are number of times I'm like, uh, that's a grocery cart. We don't put that in our mouths. Like, just, <laughs> just kids. Um, and so I, I really feel like that is a testament to um, our immune systems and our gut health with our food choices and our focus on you know, sleep and activity and stress management, all those other factors. And, um, you know, if we completely get sick, I guess there goes my logic. But um, it's one of the things that we used to get a lot. And it's been a, it's been one of the biggest differences for me because we'll still get colds and we'll still get the flu. I don't think we get them anywhere near as much as we did pre-paleo. But uh, stomach bugs are one of those ones that went like way, way down in terms of frequency. So I'm just going to appreciate it is what I'm yeah. going to do. No, I was And continue way. to knock on wood for like the next half hour because that was a lot of fate tempting right there. Yeah. The flu turn used to turn into, you know, bronchitis, which used to turn into pneumonia. The stomach flu would turn into... Um, I remember I was hospitalized. So my, the fact that I was exposed and now this is all I have to show for it is a huge celebration, um, for me. And I think it's a good segue into actually our show topic and our special guest. So I'm actually going to bring Jacqueline Harwell on from the family that heals together. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so really nice to have you on the show. This is your first time on their show. It is. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We thought it would be a good idea to talk about um, the way that different families approach the holidays. And I know that you're a mother of many children. I think a lot of boys too, right? Four? Four boys? Four boys. Yes, four boys. <laughs> I I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> I mean, three double the number of kids I have. Three double is the number. Plenty, plenty of boys for me. I can't imagine adding one more. And to it's the mix. infinitely more boys than I have. Yes, infinity more. <laughs> so um, I think that um, you will have some awesome insight into how your family is approaching the holidays. And um, while we were talking about facing the the myriad of flus that are happening I think um, it's interesting one of the things that I want to point out is that all of these flus and stomach flus that went around all happened around the same time as Thanksgiving and um, I think that season of sickness starts around um, Halloween as well <laughs> it's like it's exactly while we're indulging more yes exactly two to two and a half months and so I think, yeah. you know, it's it's an interesting concept as we do talk you, about... You do you know, think there's a link? Do you think Do you that think? Maybe? We go, you've been, well, so we go off the rails a little bit, and that makes us more susceptible? Or do you think it's just coincidence that it's cold, therefore we celebrate more, and it's cold, therefore there's more germs to fight off? I think I personally think the former 
I, um, I know that my boys do a lot of things in the summertime that have to do with germ spreading, like, you know, playing outside a lot and like looking shopping carts, being in the public pool where everybody is constantly (laughs) using bodily functions and needing to get out of the pool. You know, there's, I think there's constant exposure between school and summertime and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not that there aren't different kinds of things that happen in the, in the fall and winter, but I think the reason me personally, um, that we see, more incidents of illness it is during a time that is not only where we indulge in foods but it's also one of the highest stress periods for people mm. you know um, heart attacks and um, that sort of thing is also more common this time of year and it's been linked to the stress that people feel at the holidays so I think that combination of you know hitting us from all sides is certainly weakens people's um, immune system and gut health and and makes you more susceptible to to certain things. Absolutely. Um, have shorter days, less vitamin D, all those things. Yeah. Um, so before we get into all that jazz, I think we're like opening up the topic. Um, let's, I would love for Jacqueline, for you to tell your story. Um, just, you know, give, give people an introduction to yourself if they had never heard of you or your blog and, um, kind of maybe your perspective on, on approaching the holidays with your family. Yeah. So, um, I started my blog, the family that heals together just over a year ago now. And, um, I started it because our family has been through, um, so much healing thanks to mostly a paleo diet that I'm just so excited to always share about it because I think that there are always people looking for that kind of information. Um, So I started having health problems when I was a teenager. Um, I would have joint pain and I was, you know, I was so tired at a time that I should have had lots of energy. I can remember when I was 15 years old, I would beg my mom to let me stay home from school and sleep because I was always so tired. And, you know, you don't realize how abnormal these things are. And then it just carried over into college. Um, And then I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and then I got pregnant. (laughs) So um, I, I never knew what it meant to take care of my body or nourish myself. So, of course, I had a really unhealthy pregnancy. I had preeclampsia and um, my son was born healthy, but he always had these little symptoms of immune dysfunction like eczema and allergies and things like this. And those things started to improve once we uh, just started to clean up our diet a little bit. Um, one of the biggest changes that helped with his skin was like eliminating, you know, the conventional soaps and lotions and laundry detergents. So we just made these baby steps changes that, um, added up to really big changes. And, um, after I had my third son, I was really struggling with my health and we weren't eating any of the really terrible ingredients like high fructose corn syrup or MSG or artificial colorings or things like that. I was working really hard to prepare fresh foods. I was um, making everything from scratch at home. We focused on organic foods and I was even like buying these local wheat berries and sprouting them and dehydrating them and grinding my flower fresh. I was working 
as hard as I knew how for our health. Um, but I still didn't feel well. And then our oldest son had just really began to struggle with behavioral disorders like ADHD. And then, um, he really started having some anger and rage issues that were more like ODD, um, and just all of these things that we knew weren't normal. Um, but we weren't really sure how to handle them. And then sometime after the birth of, uh, our third son, People were talking about how grain-free had just made this huge difference for them. And I kind of blew it off because I thought, well, you know, I'm doing everything right. I'm making these freshly ground wheat berries. And uh, I don't know what finally convinced me to try it. I think I just felt bad enough. I was so miserable and um, having frequent migraines and vertigo and all of this stuff that, you know, with three boys, you have to be on your game. And if you're barely functioning. You're not going to be able to take care of these boys. So, uh, we actually, we tried going sugar-free first. We did that for 30 days and I did feel a lot better. And then we decided to dive in and go grain-free for 30 days. And I basically have never looked back because within the first few days, it was like the clouds had parted and the sun was shining through and I felt like a new person and really the best I had ever remembered feeling in my whole life. So, that was a real catalyst for me to want to tell other people. And I think that we get used to all of our little symptoms and not feeling well, and we don't realize how good we're meant to feel. And so, um, you know, I've just never wanted to go back to eating the way we used to, because it's just so worth it to put the effort in and feel well. And, you know, personally for us, uh, it's really important that we stick with a really clean diet because our son's behavior affects everybody in the family. And if he's having foods that he doesn't tolerate well, then it pretty much makes everybody miserable. So that keeps us um, really motivated. So as far as the holidays, uh, last year around the holidays, we did the GAPS diet, which is an intensive gut healing diet. Um, and as we approached the holidays, we had this choice to make. Were we going to indulge and kind of mess up our progress or were we going to just keep pushing through and find ways to make the foods we were eating that were grain and starch free and thankfully I was able to get creative and find some really great recipes and we stayed really committed through the holidays and it, it really was easier than you would expect um, and I think it helps when you're committed to the healing that you're experiencing so this year we're able to um, loosen up a little bit on our standards because we have experienced so much healing. But, you know, I think everybody kind of has to gauge what their bodies can handle and decide how far they want to push it. Yeah, I think that's... I... <laughs> Go ahead. Sarah. Oh, sorry. I, I, there's so many different talking points in there from which to launch into, I think, a really interesting discussion. But one of the things that I really love that you said was the idea of making a lot of small changes that adds up to a big change. And um, I think it's one of those things that, you know, we can think back over small changes as we're sort of iteratively seeking a sort of optimal diet and lifestyle for ourselves and our families for optimal health. And it's, I think, pretty common for us to 
you know, even if we make a big step in the beginning to continue to refine with these additional small changes, like for us, it was we changed our food first, but then we did get rid of, you know, conventional soaps and, and those types of chemicals, right? And we, we made that change later. Um, but I, I also like that idea in terms of approaching the holidays and thinking about the small choices, the small, easy choices that we can make that can make a really big difference in terms of protecting our health, um, maintaining our health throughout the holidays. And I, I really like that idea of thinking about the, you know, a collection of little things, a collection of small things that are easy. Um, you know, for me, I would, I like a small thing for me would be just going to bed 15 minutes earlier. Well, going to bed 15 minutes earlier means that during the week I got, you know, nearly two hours more sleep. So, um, so those types of little things that I think when we break it down that way, it suddenly becomes much more accessible. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that we allow this idea of perfectionism and what we view as being a perfect diet get in the way of what's good. I find myself thinking that if I can't do it perfect, I might as well not do it at all. Whereas there are still really great choices and really good things we can do for ourselves. And sometimes the good choices are good enough. And so I think that, you know, personally, a lot of my readers, I think, feel this same pressure. You know, they communicate to me that they just feel so overwhelmed and they're not sure what their ideal diet is. And I think when we get into that mindset, we can you know, we can find ourselves stopping before we ever start because we just feel like we're never going to achieve perfectionism. But I don't think that perfect should necessarily be the goal. One of the phrases that um, Rob Wolf used that I think is so brilliant and I try to reuse as often as possible is that perfect should not be the enemy of the good. And I think that that's really important um, depending on where you are in your journey and what your goals are and how that all affects your family is much different to someone who doesn't have a child with behavioral disorders or someone who doesn't have autoimmune disorders. The way they approach the holidays will be different than someone who's trying to recover their gut with a GAPS protocol because something like that really does set you back if you physically consume things that um, would feed the bacteria that you're trying to kill off, for example. So I think that um, this idea of perfectionism needs to be reframed around goals and people's priorities and then it becomes a question of, okay, well, you know, what are you trying to do? And then you can approach how you want to frame your holidays in that context. You know, for for us, we've been doing this six and a half years. I know Sarah's the same way. We know that there are certain foods that our children tolerate better and worse than others. And there are certainly foods around the holidays that we consume um, that we don't make every day or that we wouldn't consume every day. And that it is a, it's a much more, you know, sweeter holiday, indulgent in, in starches than we would normally do. But I also try to balance that with, you know, having broth for breakfast every morning and, you know, like I, I try to be conscientious of those things to make sure that I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm experiencing an autoimmune flare because of the choices that we make. So I think it's a, 
just a, a really like everything else that we talk about a nuanced concept that I don't know if you experience this uh, but that we find our audience oftentimes wants a black or white answer on and it's just not the case yeah I don't know if there's ever you know a perfect black or white answer because I think you know life is gray area (laughs) Um, but you know it's hard to find the balance because we typically do like to indulge in, you know, maybe some gluten-free treats that we wouldn't have normally, you know, other times of year, but a lot of those gluten-free treats might have corn in them. And our son was reacting so strongly to corn and it would stay in his system for weeks at a time. He would have these crazy um, mood swings and stuff that just, you know, makes everybody else miserable. And so we, we literally could not indulge. We could not cheat. And so it became really important to still make the kids feel like we were eating lots of special foods and to get really creative in the kitchen, which is really important and great. Um, but I think if you can get away with it, then that's also great. And, um, you just kind of have to find what works for you. And, you know, for our family from one year to the next, that's, that looks different because this year the holidays are much different than they were last year when we really couldn't indulge in things that we're able to now. I think there's a lot of factors too, that are sort of beyond how well we tolerate an ingredient, but also just the psychological aspect. So, um, I had um, a great conversation with some friends about um, being an abstainer versus being, um, oh, I can't even remember what we called the opposite, but like being a person who really does better with cold turkey. I, you know, it's a firm rule. I don't get to have that because if I have that, it becomes a slippery slope versus being a person who actually does better with, I'm going to have treat, you know, and, and having, allowing a little bit of indulgence here and there actually helps us stay on track. And I think that sometimes it's hard to recognize. And I sort of realized in that conversation that I definitely do better as an abstainer. I have a really hard time with slippery slopes, especially with sugar, and it can stay completely within the paleo template. I can stay completely autoimmune protocol. Um, And I will still overdo it to the point of, you know, causing myself problems and increasing inflammation. Um, And I think it's, it takes a large amount of self-awareness in terms of like how, how is this indulgence going to work for me psychologically? Is it going to make me feel like I'm participating in the festivities and the celebrations and I'm enjoying this treat and how wonderful it is to enjoy this time of year? Um, Or is it going to set me up for cravings and, um, you know, less inhibited eating moving forward and then requiring more willpower and then falling down that slope? And I think that um, it can be really hard if you're that second personality type. If you're that person who the one treat starts, makes it so much harder to not have another one, as opposed to the person who have the one treat makes it so much easier to keep going. I'm the person who the one treat makes it 
makes you know I'm, I'm like automatically back on the sugar roller coaster after like a handful of dark chocolate coated almonds so it's i think it can be a really tough time of year i think you know recovering alcoholics have a the similar sort of um challenge i think e- even more so um but there's this this idea of like for some people we just do better with making this line that we can't indulge during a time of year where indulgence is like part of the experience. Um, And I definitely think that that poses in many ways a different kind of challenge compared to, um, you know, can we do a rice based treat this year or can, you know, can we, can we do something sweetened with honey or do we have to stick with dates? Right. Like that's, Really understanding, you know, food sensitivity is a sort of one side of the equation, but I think there's a side of the equation with, um, I mean, I think it relates to addiction. For me, it relates to food addiction. Um, but I, I feel like this is a different side of the coin that, um, for me, it certainly makes this time of year and, and staying on track this time of year a lot more challenging. Um, but I think it's also a challenge that's faced by a lot of people that's really hard to a admit to ourselves um but b also really hard to talk about with other people because there's i think a little bit of a stigma attached right like what do you mean you can't have one cookie um and even if you know like once we get over the conversation of well well that cookie has gluten and dairy and you know i can't eat those things well why why can't you have this one you know piece of chocolate or this one candy can or whatever it is. And, um, and I think that's, it it becomes a a much bigger challenge because it, it hits a lot of psychological pressure points. So I just, I think this is a really good point that you're making, Sarah. I I think we've talked about it in the blog before uh, this idea of, um, disordered eating or emotional eating or binge eating and, difference around that, I think what is pertinent to the topic you're talking about is that sugar is a chemical for the brain in the same way that heroin is a chemical for the brain. It is uh, highly addictive. And um, for some people, that's difficult to get off of once you're on the snowball of it. And, And we've talked before about how it leads to less sleep and all these other hormonal changes as well. But I think, um, One of the things that you said that's always been really interesting to me is this idea of comparing alcoholism to food addiction. And um, what I've read that I think is a really interesting fact for people to keep in their mind all the time is that if you're a food addict, you can't just stop eating. Like you, you literally would die, but you can stop drinking alcohol. You can stop drinking, uh, you can stop taking drugs, but everybody must eat food. And so it makes it so difficult as you're describing to consume those nourishing foods, the foods that will heal, the foods that will help us be our best healthy selves, but not um, negatively impact us um, if we're trying to experience that social aspect of food, which we've also talked about before, right? It's, it's very easy to 
to sit with your family and to remember, like for me, I remember the first year we went paleo, we still made a gluten monkey bread for everybody, even though everything else at our table for Christmas brunch was um, uh, grain-free paleo. And it was because, like, we didn't consume that food, but because we knew that our family would not be content with not having a food that they associated with the holiday that had become our family tradition. And so it's that balance that we all need to strike between, you know, fulfilling that social and emotional need while still not compromising um, the, the gut health and the healing progress that you're working on, which... You know, Jacqueline, I know that um, you have an ebook out, um, Nourishing Holidays, which is, I think, a great resource for people that are trying to recreate some of those um, foods that they might have an emotional connection to, or that their, you know, their kids don't want to miss, or that kind of thing. You know, gingerbread uh, man cookies, and um, it looks like you've got some some hot chocolate in here, which I'm assuming is not actually chocolate. Um, and I know like Danielle has the new celebrations book that's out. And mm-hmm. I think it's that kind of um, middle ground is fantastic for people who are working towards that balance or um, aren't ready to feel comfortable completely um, going without a leash, so to speak. But I also think that it's important from an emotional connection to not have this negative connotation with food that isn't paleo perfect. And that's where it really gets to your goals. I know I'm like all over the place here, but I I worry about people who worry so much on the physical part of it that they lose that um, healthy emotional aspect or um, uh, normalcy with food where they've, you know, create a different kind of emotional problem or disordered eating by, you know, this idea of orthorexia and perfection and that sort of stuff. So it really is just such a difficult, difficult line to walk because it's not an all or nothing situation with food. You, you've got to eat it in order to stay healthy. Um, Jacqueline, I'm sure you've got lots of thoughts on this considering that you literally wrote the book on it. (laughs) Right. I mean, definitely lots of thoughts. Um, as far as, you know, the emotional aspect, I'm thinking about, you know, people that I know that stress so much about what they eat. And I'm thinking that the stress is worse for you than the bad food, you know? Um, and I just find personally that as long as I keep myself satiated with good fats and I'm, I'm eating the gut healing foods, like the, the broth and the stock and things like that that I'm less interested in eating junky foods. Um, but I'm with Sarah. I mean, I'm one of those people that if I indulge a little bit, it's like there's a, a snowball effect. It becomes cumulative and I just want more. Um, so, you know, I don't know that there's a perfect answer for the holidays. <laughs> you know, I'm the kind of person that says, well, I'm just going to enjoy, but I'll do a 21 day sugar detox in January. And that's <laughs> You know, that's effective for kind of getting those cravings back under control, I guess. But I don't, I just don't know how realistic it is to not indulge at all. Because once you find yourself feeling so deprived, personally, I, I'm more likely to then binge on, you know, a whole box of gluten-free cookies huddled in a quarter in my closet if I, you know, don't ever indulge. 
than if I just let myself have a little here and there, I guess. Um, so I don't know if I have, you know, a solution for your listeners other than to say you're not alone. I think even those of us who have done this paleo thing for years, I think we still struggle with the same, you know, issues and trying to find balance with how we eat. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, as, so let's take a step backwards. So the chemical changes in the brain that are happening in food addiction are the exact same that are happening in other forms of addiction. Um, and so we know there's actually changes to, um, dopamine receptors in certain regions of the brain. And, um, and Stacey's point of like, you can't give up food entirely, right? You can't go cold turkey. You can't just like, you can just, I mean, it sounds so, um, disrespectful of the amount of work it actually takes to recover from addiction, but you can, you know, go cold turkey from smoking and you cannot go cold turkey from, from food. Um, I think that with food addiction, you face it. I feel like healthy food doesn't press the same kinds of buttons as junk food. So there is an aspect to food addiction. I, I mean, it, it's difficult to portion control even with healthy food, but the roller coaster I think really comes from, um, the more, you know, higher sugar, higher fat, higher salt, or combinations of all of the above that sort of hyper palatable, even within the paleo community. I mean, when we're making paleo desserts, we are making an extremely palatable food. I mean, there's, there's no way you can compare, um, you know, a piece of paleo chocolate cake with uh, an apple and some almond butter, right? It's not the same experience and they're not supposed to be the same experience because they're supposed to be about having balance and some normalcy and feeling like we're still part of this greater society that does indulge and being able to celebrate and all of these things that are really, really important. I think that, you know, in my experience, I don't have a really good solution. I have found that over the years, I have been better at not going down the slippery slope as far and getting back up to the top a little bit faster. And that has been the, the biggest trick for me for maintaining my weight loss and keeping my um, eating under control. And it's it's just been um, almost experience. So, um, you know, it's practice. I've, I've done it enough times that I've just gotten better at not letting myself get as out of control and then getting myself back under control faster. And, and certainly – Getting plenty of sleep helps with that. Managing stress helps with that. Being active helps with that. Um, you know, those are all things that are that are really important. And, and as you said, Jacqueline, focusing still on those really healing foods. I think when you compound something like food addiction with nutrient deficiencies, which also cause cravings, then you're you're you've sort of created this like perfect storm of like, and I will now eat all of the paleo gingerbread cookies. Um, I think that you know, when we, we can kind of tidy up as many other things as we can. Um, and then that can potentially create a little bit more flexibility. So for, I know, I know, for example, I can either do sweets or I can do some alcohol. If I put the two together, really bad things happen. I make bad, bad choices when there's dessert and wine. This is just, it's really, really bad choices. Um, so I think, you know, my 
my take home more is I, I kind of wanted to acknowledge that this is a thing and it definitely makes the holidays more of a challenge. Um, and, um, and kind of say there's no magic bullet and it's not a, there's not a, um, you can't paleo harder out of something like that, right? It's, it comes down to making the best choice you can every time you're faced with a choice and not beating ourselves up over a less than stellar choice. Um, I think when we let ourselves get into that cycle of guilt and, and blaming ourselves, that's, that's where we lose our ability to pull up our socks and get back on track. Right. And I think you have to know your limits. Um, you know, it used to be that I could, if I just ate even a little bit of gluten or sugar, I would just be in pain for days. I would wake up the next day feeling like I got hit by a truck. I would, my body would hurt all over. I would have migraines. Um, and thankfully I have healed myself to the point that that's not happening anymore. And, you know, my son doesn't have the horrible reactions he used to have, but we still know our limit. We might be able to indulge in, you know, something one night, maybe a few cookies or something. And then we're not going to do that again for a while. We have to, you know, pace ourselves, I guess. Um, and like you're saying, as long as we're keeping the other things in balance, we're taking good supplements, we're getting good rest, um, and we're keeping, you know, 99% of our diet nourishing, then it seems like we might be able to get away with that a little bit more. So Jacqueline, what are your, your sort of, your, what's your toolkit for, for the holidays? What are, what is your, your fallback, your, your strongest, um, sort of, uh, strategies that I found you found it work really, really well for you and your family through the holidays? Well, depending on how strict we're being, um, you know, like last year, my biggest toolkit was just really great recipes because with four boys, it's, it's not an option to not let them feel like they can have special foods through the holidays, especially, you know, when there are gatherings where people are going to be eating junky foods, I have to provide an alternative. So number one is just having really great recipes. And, um, the other thing is I just try to keep my stress levels really low. I, I try not to go over the top with gift giving and I, I don't commit to things that don't sound really fun. And that, um, you know, if, if I realize that something's probably going to be stressful for our family, I politely decline because I just really am protective of our time and, um, my stress levels more than anything, because as soon as we start over committing ourselves and stressing about, you know, like white elephant gifts or whatever, all of the crazy things the holiday brings up or having to provide an alternative food that I have to make for several different parties. Um, then, I start being cranky with my children. We're all tired. We're all cranky. And then, you know, you can't, like you were saying, you can't paleo harder. You can't out eat those bad decisions. So um, I'm just really, really mindful of not taking on more stress than I can handle at the holidays. Um, and just finding other ways to make the holidays special too, which we haven't really talked about. But, you know, in our society, food is king and food is 
at every celebration, but there are also really special things you can do with your kids to celebrate the holidays. Um, just watching a special holiday movie every year can can be a nice tradition or sitting around the fire or, um, you know, all of these special holiday things that don't have to have anything to do with food. I love that because mm-hmm. as someone with an autoimmune disorder, it took me years to figure out how to say no and how to draw those boundaries. And the fact that you're calling that out is one of the things that you focus on at the holidays is something that I subconsciously have been doing and enacting for the last couple of years, but is something that I wouldn't have thought to point out to people, but is so important that there is this like overcommitment. People are traveling, people are inviting you to do all these things. And if it's not adding value to your life, if it's causing you more harm than good, i.e. the stress and all the things you described, it isn't something that you need to be doing. And I just think the more we all feel empowered to tell ourselves it's okay to stay home and play a game around the fire and that that's going to create the memory and you know the joy that is really the spirit of whatever holiday is magical like i just am like yes kudos stars jazzy hands all over here <laughs> absolutely i pretty much say no unapologetically. (laughs) Um, You know, I read a book that helped me kind of look at the different commitments I have in my life and you kind of weigh against your emotions, your time and your finances. And if a commitment is going to overstretch you in any of those areas, then you really need to decide if it's worth that stress because then it's going to be pulling from something else in your life. So, you know, if you weigh it against those things, it's pretty easy to decide whether something's worth it or not. So for me with four boys, there just isn't, there isn't much that's worth overextending myself in any of those areas. So, um, Jacqueline, do you want to remind people where they can find you, your ebook, um, any other projects that you want people to know about or anything, you know, how they can how they can follow you and keep up to date? Definitely. Um, so my website is thefamilythatheheals.together.com. You can find my book Nourishing Holiday there. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon uh, hard copy version. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Instagram under the same names, and I just jumped into Twitter, which is like a whole different oh, it's a thing. A whole different thing. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm not a huge media connoisseur or anything like that but i joined twitter (laughs) that's that's how i felt about periscope and snapchat although i really enjoyed snapchat until instagram had stories and then i was like i know instagram is just copying snapchat but it's here yes (laughs) it's in this one thing in this place that i really like (laughs) using and it doesn't have the faces but it's still pretty amazing exactly yes Yeah. Yes. No, I, um, what I always say is like, I, I can't talk short. I don't, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I'm, I'm not good at it. I just, I don't, I don't have, it's 140 characters. Is I, that- think, I think it would be really good at Twittering if it wasn't paleo related. Like I have a lot of snarky things to say about like the rest of my life. I can see you getting into arguments. Right. 
But yeah. that's not necessarily appropriate for what we've got going on. So, um, I also <laughs> want to recommend, Jacqueline, you didn't plug it, but I know you did a guest post on our blog. So we'll put a link in the show notes for the dessert raviolis that you made, which, if I'm reading the ingredients correctly, could be AIP as well if people just um, subbed out the butter, right? Right. I think that's correct. Yeah, that's another really great example of you know, making my boys really special foods that taste really special to them, but are totally healthy. So we can, you know, get away with it just fine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Paleo View. It was a pleasure to have you. And I think your your story of how you found Paleo is one Sarah and I can totally identify with. And um mm-hmm. All of our sympathies go out to you on the testosterone you are surviving right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. And, I love being the mother of boys. And a few years. Yeah. Yeah, yours are a little bit younger than mine, right? Cole's um, going to uh, – well, he's 11 now. Right, yeah. My oldest is nine, and then I have them all the way down to age two. So yeah. they're still – little but the teenage years i don't know just send chocolate please exactly <laughs> done yeah. done I'll, I'll make a little note yeah awesome yeah. yeah thank you so much for having me well thank you very much jacqueline and thanks everyone for listening happy holidays thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to rate us on itunes You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. You had an awkward pause before you said that. I know because I wasn't going to say anything and then I was like. out the awkward pause. Okay, well. And then make it sound like it's right closer and then it'll sound fine. It wouldn't be the first time that he's fixed an awkward pause. (laughs) I think that's the number one thing he does. <laughs> you take, I, I think and he stopped taking out the, uh, um, he's taking, <laughs> he stopped taking those out. He just leaves those ones in. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.